Are we going to introduce her? Yeah, we should do. You can, you can do a little spiel. So, one year has gone by since Say When last met. Been a dark, difficult, long journey. I've regenerated. Who have you become? Monet90. <laughs> Anyone else? I'm here. I'm still K. Although, if I were to regenerate, perhaps I would be L. I, I am still Darwin. Wouldn't be able to hide my my specific tone of things that I talk about anyway, so I can't I can't pretend to be anyone new. Yes, so she's back, and yeah. so is the other people. Everyone's back. <laughs> the whole show is back, just whole, to be clear. Yeah, all of the mythology um. in one go. Let's just bring it back. Let's answer the critics. And just I want everything. I want Gallifrey. I want the Master. I want I don't know the Victorian. A two-part story. Yeah, all of it. Yeah. I found it very sensorily overwhelming, actually. The first time I watched Spyfall Part 2, I felt, yeah, deeply overwhelmed and I couldn't refocus because there was too much going on, too much information. It is damning when you have to pay attention and rewind, even on the second or third viewing, to understand what the plan was supposed to be Mm. in the plot. And also, like, the plan kept... The plan was always sort of being kept out of uh, out of our view, but then even as it was being kept out of our view, it was changing and being questioned, so it just seemed like a bit of a hodgepodge. I don't mind a hodgepodge myself. And it's nice when they had a stab at doing a genre. <laughs> I like it. They can do a genre like as a treat. Did, like when, yeah, they can have, they can have all the... <laughs> Genre as a treat. <laughs> so, so the genre is what spies James Bond. It's called Spyfall. Is that the genre? Like yeah, James Bond. James Bond. <laughs> so I feel like, so I feel like the first part was in James Bond genre. The second part was in some kind of like Stephen Moffat genre. But like the first part was, you know, they had a party, they had um, gadgets and things, which did actually come back in the second part. But um, and they had the kind of score, and it was kind of filmed like a genre. Tuxedos. I liked tuxedos. I liked the first half mm. far more than the second half. I was massively disappointed by the second half. But the first half, as a genre exercise, that is a kind of way of by revisiting a past genre. It's a way for a capitalist entertainment to avoid the problem of pure commodification by simply switching back to an, an old shell. So to that extent, I liked it. I thought it was a keeper. <laughs> It was a caper. It was a caper. Yeah. Like, like it was meant to be a spy, a fun, a, like a very <coughs> slick spy thriller, but then it was the 13th Doctor, who is yeah. just a little bit of a purposefully, apart from when she does all really annoying liberal things, meant to be sort of like a bit of an adorable idiot. Like when she played Snap, that was funny. It's very, that was like a very good character. If you had to explain the 13th Doctor's character with one moment, I would explain that we should go in the casino then. Card, card, yeah. card. And, but, and when they, by the time they get to that part of the episode, I feel like the Doctor's sort of modus has sort of burst through the kind of uh, neat spy film style um, establishment of uh, scenes where it says, now in West Africa, now mm. on a plane, you mm. know, it's, there's some writing on the thing. Mm. And they sort of stop doing that and, uh, and maybe that's that was kind of fun. Yeah, that's yeah. quite nice that, that yeah. it, it kind of, not falls apart exactly, but just fails to, to sustain that kind of them. Um, MI6 just sort of drops out of yeah. existence. Everyone gets killed from MI6. Yeah, they're having real trouble, personnel. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Lenny Henry, isn't it? As this kind of, as the head of something called Vore, which is like an evil version of 
well, not an evil version, but a version of Google stroke Facebook stroke tech in general, Apple. That seemed good, but then his plan is kind of subservient to the master. It's like Master Vor and the alien race. They're called the Kasavan. The Kasavan. That sounds like um, that kind of sugar. Kasava. Yeah, it does. Look at that sugar. <laughs> this, this sound in the background is, is a, special, a special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? No? The nameless The one. nameless new viewer who was, from my experience, very dismissive of Doctor Who pre- previous series, especially the last series. Mm-hmm. I think at one point I was playing an episode and you just went, what is this? With whom? With Jodie Whittaker. But, 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 but they definitely developed 13 to something, I'm not necessarily saying into a better Doctor, but into some kind of more cohesive, trusted, you know, Doctor-shaped thing. But this episode drew you in a little bit more. Well, both of them, both of them yeah, so I thought they were, yeah, they were quite good. I don't know, I mean, I was used to the ones from the 70s, which were quite shit. Well, it's yeah. more cinematic now. Yeah, yeah. Got, that, got that Amazon money. Yeah, is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really big in the US for BBC America. It obviously had, its audience was split and kind of pitched to be this kind of British national export. Uh, but that's interesting though, in the funding terms. Oh, only a sport, you might say. You might say. Good. <laughs> um, I, so then, yeah, the second half, I hated it. I, I just thought it was just, it ruined all of the glimmers from the previous series, in which we were going through episode by episode, looking for kind of signs that might develop into something really interesting, and they all seem to be trounced by this outing. I still have hopes for the rest of the series, perhaps. Um, but it seemed like Chris Chibnall going into Moffat mode and super liberal um, mode in a bad way. Not that Doctor Who's ever not done that. There were just a series of like of really cringy moments of the Doctor interacting with the Master, and I just felt like it was kind of um, TV commodified entertainment taken to its what hit there. It was previously the theme of time travel almost. Um, because things can turn out in lots of different ways is a genre that slightly undoes the genrefication of entertainment. This seems to be the final moment in which Doctor Who has turned into um, uh, something which just reacts entirely to audience expectations and audience dreams and just uh, entirely exports a kind of national idea of a quirky, globe-trotting, um, liberal, spreading Doctor. Yeah, maybe a kind of um, glaring problem is that, you know, now, in, in our time, alien invasion of the planet would, would be a mercy, and, and, and kind of aliens are sort of the least of our Like a bit worries. of a distraction. Yeah. Like a pleasant distraction, like, like something you know, it would be a curveball, at least, <laughs> in this timeline that we're stuck in. And um, so that, that maybe is a problem for sci-fi. But I, I agree with what you're saying about sort of undoing the glimmers because in the end all of it sort of all roads lead back to Gallifrey and the, not that I wasn't happy. I did I did a very real shock when it was the master and I'm sure everyone else watching went No Yeah, I, I love to be fair, I loved that moment. I loved that a sudden escalation on the plane at the end of part one. Yeah. Well, that's just good telly, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, good reveal, good <laughs> camp right when you yeah. need it. Yeah. 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 I mean, and I just think it's intriguing to anyone who 
doesn't know who the messenger is because that would just because mm. I think I've heard the theory and I think that's very much very true reading that the, that the first uh, series eleven was like a soft reboot. It's basically like mm. starting it again, but not quite. Which meant that there, there is a reason that they ignored all of the past because you're trying to bring viewers in and then you can kind of slowly introduce the old ideas in the second series. And obviously I think they kind of overdid it. Like, I do think there was something like, this is why I find it so overwhelming that not only was the master vet, but that he'd gone to Gallifrey, wrecked it, and then made the doctor go. Like all, this is why I do think the doctor has ADHD so much more than even all the other doctors, because when there's a bit before when she remembers the master going, have you been home? And she thinks for one second, but then she goes. When really, that's a bit of a, you know, and also she forgets to save her friends. And she just forget to save her friends until they remind her. Mm-hmm. Which is just really satisfying. But yeah, I did think that it was it, it, it's an overloading that was weirdly like perfectly answered to so many of the criticisms, but in a way that was obviously just really quite crude. Not that I didn't enjoy the mess. I enjoy the mess. But I guess you always dream of how it could be. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think in my regenerated form I'm less uh, I'm less happy with the mess. Mm. I feel more um, on edge in this incarnation. Um, and so, uh, historical figures in this episode. So, part two, we had Ada Lovelace. What, Ada Gordon? She's not Ada Lovelace yet. Let's just call her Ada Lovelace. We have Ada. Ada. We have Ada. Yes. Don't need a TARDIS. Don't need a TARDIS. Got an Ada. Do have an Ada. She's sexy. Yeah. Let's not forget. The gay undertone. I'm going to overtone it right now. Why? Well, it's just obvious. Shoots yeah. a yeah. photo Gatling gun. Yeah. Shoots someone for the doctor. Yeah. Mm. Kneels there. And then defends the doctor. And the defense. She uses sort of redundant vocabulary in a very attractive way. She says way. egress. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no one right. says. Yeah. I do. Have you said yeah. egress before? Yeah. I need to now egress. you're going to force it into this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> She's, she's, Ada has theories about that place that she's in, and she takes everything on board very easily. An ideal companion. Yeah, she uses sort of empirical reasoning. Mm. But, but obviously, <coughs> Nor, the second character, is absolutely wasted in every way other than a beautiful shot of her sitting on a chair. But also actually distrustful. Yes, she was distrustful, but it just came across as, I feel like it came across as a, just her character not quite forming get yes. under the writer's hand but yeah definitely distrustful as you would be during a war yeah she goes from distrustful to doing what she's told and then being baffled <laughs> like a woman should be <laughs> but i guess when you find out that eventually the doctor's going to wipe both of their memories anyway it's almost like well of course that's why the doctor's not really bothered because in the end it's all isn't gonna matter it's a weird sort of once you've realized that that happens then it's sort of Retroactively makes it you know, oh well, who cares? We don't want to invest in too much anyway. Yes, because they stand as figures in this thing, this liberal feminism grafted onto Whig history, progressive history, whereby um, they, these are the dark times, but they don't sustain the fascists. Do they win? Answer: Never. Not while there's people like you. And I want to argue in this essay. That um, this is illustrative of the, the sort of failures of a certain anti-fascist perspective as a kind of counter-history and implicit, co-current counter-strategy 
to the the deep interpenetration of modern technology and fascism. Um, but I'm sure we'll get onto that. <laughs> Let's talk about um, the thing that I don't say out loud. DNA. Yeah. Um, the fans of the podcast may remember previous discussions about DNA. It's a very hot topic. DNA denialists. DNA, <laughs> DNA truthers. Um, this kind of magical uh, device that appears in sci-fi. It does. It, Doctor Who. In, it appears throughout sci-fi, but Doctor Who in particular is obsessed with it. And this it appears throughout these two episodes. And the uh, the energy that you get from travelling through time and space is this kind of uh, protective DNA. Ultron energy. Ultron energy. Um, amongst other things, it marks you out as a time traveller. Um, but DNA connected to data and this idea of some kind of mass, mass fascist supercomputer seems to be partly the plan that is concocted. And I guess that is that partly, we see that in the Matrix, this idea of kind of hardware running off the software. No, how software running off human hardware? Yes. Um, but you, you have more to say about DNA. I think it differs. Well, we talk. There's, there's two things there, isn't there? There's data and then there's DNA, but they're both, yeah, maybe they're equated functions. Here. Very it's much like so. Yeah, yeah. I think um, to trot off the line where after Yaz does the DNA test and turns out Daniel Barton's only ninety three percent that bitch. <laughs> I would like to. I would like to point out that if the doctor's device counted quantity rather than um, detecting molar mass, then um, it, it would show that all so-called humans are 90% microbes. Mm. So that's a shitty piece of equipment, really. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's ideological, yeah, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, but that's important, I think. Mm. I didn't listen about how. What is the other bit? I think he's, he said that he's a test run for the thing, which and the thing is that... What is the plan? Can anyone explain to me? I don't know who's the leader. I couldn't tell. Lenny Henry, or Daniel... But if he's, he's the, the sub-sub-puppet is, master. Is, is, is not really... He just provides the technology. But, he's but you know he's evil because he's, he's got a plan. And he kills he's his mum. Didn't you just say that he was the test yeah, but he also obviously makes himself the test. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so part of him has been reformatted as nothing as a test. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the first problem because there is no puppet master. I mean, with Goodwill and such and such, obviously there are people in control, but they're not in control, or they don't have some dark plan. You know, there is, and there, there, it's not structurally possible mm-hmm. under the relationship production that we live under for there to be a concentration of capital strong enough to sort of pull strings in any meaningful way. They're just they're just sort of they're pulling their own limited strings from their own little concentrations of capital, um, whether they are nation states or 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 tech companies or whatever. And and this is like the an anxiety about this is sort of strongly hinted at with the you know, the terrible idea that a tech company could be more powerful than a than a country. But that what it doesn't see and can't see is that technology itself is the problem. That this is a that it, it will simply continue to erode the the possibility of other worlds, other ways of living in the world by just sort of gradual annihilation and assimilating kind of oppositional forms into its own matrix, if you like. And that there is no sort of single Russia or whatever that's able to manipulate that, try as it might, 
And um, I think it yeah. half sees the technological problem. So the scene in which they're all uh, stamping their own phones because they know that they're tracking devices, there's a kind of gleefulness to Ryan's stamping on them. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. And, but at the same time, yeah, it seems like a terrible idea to the, to the show that a company could be more powerful than a country when it's a country has a kind of lovely nationalist sense of the doctor. But it's interesting that to get away from being tracked, they go to a half-built housing estate to hang out, which is actually, within this episode, is almost like a kind of utopia. All the services are disconnected. It is, it is like they are, in fact, squatting in mm-hmm. a half-built house. So we get a weird glimpse there. And they're able to make their egress via a sort of Demersian, rhizomatic uh, scaffold situation. Yes. Yeah, 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 exactly. Also, they, there's actually new housing estates being built. That's very utopian, isn't it? <laughs> it you, um, it's highlighting that, that, that because Doctor Who began to be written in the 60s, right? And, and it's actually happening that the technology of now, or the way, not the technology of now, the now, the now of technology, whatever, one of the ways around, has made it so that, you know, Doctor Who is still based you know, essentially on that, that original setup and the original premise that was written in the 60s and they haven't tried to like vamp it up since then so like in some ways like the doctor is falling behind the the whole do you know what i mean like the whole function of the doctor and the whole way that the doctor moves about the universe is starting to come up against the way that we do everything now and i feel like that was really noticeable in this show where all the doctor could do was knock the plan aside by giving it a virus, you know, giving it a virus so that it didn't do what it was meant to do. Mm. But like that's almost like that's as much as the doctor can do at this point. The doctor can't outthink it or outpiece it. Mm-hmm. Can only hack it off at the root mm. and in some kind of weird like what's that break in the frame kind of way. Like just make it stop. Um, rather than sort of yeah like outpacing it and being advanced beyond it. And I feel like that's a problem that the show's gonna come up against more and more in that all of its wild ideas are actually sort of being normalised and shoved into crammed in. Yeah, yeah, cr- yeah crammed yeah. into just life. And yeah. yeah, the doctor seemed like this is what I really liked the doctor in the past because she could kind of, you know, was free to sort of do what she wanted and have the foresight of having foresight and hindsight of having come from the future. And yet, somehow in this modern day Daniel Barton world, she was actually a little bit irrelevant and a little bit out of time. It's a bit of a basic plan though, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was an underwritten plan, I think. Well, I mean, you could tell it's kind of very dated itself yeah. in a yeah. few years. Yeah. It, yeah, it wasn't... I mean, it seems dated now, to be honest. I don't think, I don't think Chris Chibnall is himself particularly up on... Yeah, these are sort of very sort of boomer anxieties, aren't they, I suppose, yeah, <laughs> that, that are playing out in front of us. And I agree, I think one of the ways in which that awkwardly manifests itself in the plot is that um, it actually fulfils the promise that's missed in a lot of Doctor Who episodes where the Doctor solves the problem at hand by travelling in time, <laughs> yeah. um, which very rarely happens, and we can see perhaps why it doesn't make good telly. Yeah, that's true actually, that is all the doctors have meant to do. Um, but yeah, can I, expa- can I expound on that? I, I feel like yeah. I've talked to them. No, go on. So, um, yeah, that, there's this anxiety, I think it comes across really strongly when they're doing the fake interview with Daniel Barton in his office, and he says that he's uh, trying to connect people with data. The more data we share, the better it is for the world. And Yaz counters by saying, what about disinformation and online abuse and cyberbullying? And I think these are obviously very present anxieties for perhaps Chibnall or, or, or for Doctor Who as, a, as an entity because um, its subject 
to, uh, or it's the terrain of this kind of post-Gamergate culture wars thing, which is the fruit of decades of alt-right, of right-wing strategizing, propagandizing via the proxies of, of nerd culture and um, places where lonely young men hang out um, online. And this we can go back to really, really far back into the, the origins of uh, the commercial internet. Jeff Voss and the, um, the CNG cyber nationalist group, the mid-1990s Nazi Usenet groups, and even before that, 1984, Lewis Bean's Liberty Net. So they really, really got cottoned on really early on that this was a good, this was uh, the ideal kind of organising space for them. Uh, they used these proxies to talk about their ideas, and I think but the reason why the internet's a really good way, really good place for um, fascists to um, be fascists is because um, computing itself is, is authoritarian in its nature. I mean, I don't know if anyone agrees that like fascism is a superstructural, is like an apotheosis of regimes of control that are, have base relations of production that become it, i.e. patriarchy, white supremacy, class, and that the sort of common product of these relations of production is, is, uh, is the subjectivity of the civilizer, the colonizer, the settler, the, the, the subject capable of knowing and knowing itself as a self and capturing, analysing the other as data or or material. And that's what that's what science is, that's what computers are. So the the Doctor Who sort of posits this counter history and counter strategy, like I said, sort of neoliberal diversity and um, those badass female role models in time and space. And um, obviously um, I find it unconvincing. I think that the idea that there's something in it when Ada doesn't get to keep any of her knowledge. Why doesn't she get to keep any of her knowledge? Why would why why couldn't she just be like incredibly powerful and benign? <laughs> but I don't understand why that limit is put on her. Yeah, it's a painful scene because she like flinches away. It's not consensual. Yeah. No one wants their memory to be wiped. But I think that in some ways, it's I'm I'm quite happy to see thirteen become as shit as the other doctors because mm. my hopes are too high for her <laughs> and like when she does shit things like wipe people's memory and hand the master over to the nazis maybe this is just this is the true character continuity that the fan base has been waiting for <laughs> like it also confirms that they're not going to become extra companions because typically if the doctor doesn't wipe someone's memory then they have to become a companion. That's how Bill, Bill fights exactly, for has that moment. Companion. The Doctor's going to do it to Bill, then doesn't it? Uh, was probably um, scheduled uh, problems. Scheduling problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Both of those people had other projects yeah. in it. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe that's why they got wiped. But not, that wasn't meant to cut away from what you were saying. Um, so, to, so I need to think, big, it, I need to think more about this. Computing and data so computing is, is about capture, it's about identifying, trying to identify more and more of the things in the world and give them a, an address and be able to bring them into a kind of net, which is a centralisation process, even as it, in its kind of Silicon Valley form, projects itself as a kind of open, freedom-giving access. But increasingly, there's obviously this kind of liberal critique of that, as presented here in, in the VOR idea. I think that it seems very convincing to me that it's trying to present this weak 
counter history of computing. Uh, why the Doctor gets zapped to two particularly brilliant people who are within this kind of um, matrix that the plan has somehow put together. It seems unclear. Is it something like the Doctor's Ultron energy or other kind it's of energy that's like projected her? It's because of the E, it's because of the The Kazarvans are studying those two. Amongst other people? It just sort of messes, it's just sort of a bit wibbly. Mm. And it just messes with the movements back and forth. It, it's not particularly finely sketched, really. <laughs> That's kind of it. It's just a bit like, what did it be cool? And I was so I was like, it's cool. They've gone to the palace. Did they only suck in Ada then into the realm, or did oh. they suck the other one in? Did she have the blackouts, the fainting? The reason why they landed there is because Ada grabbed the doctor's hand and so um, they were psychically linked to each other, and so they ended up there. But if they hadn't, they might. The doctor might have gone straight back to twenty one C. Oh yeah, so Ada reaches out to the doctor's hands. That's crucial. Yeah, I mean, she kind of brought it on herself, didn't she? Mm. <laughs> that was a cute. Oh, she was really? asking for for memory wiper. But um, yeah, it is an incredibly overly simplistic way of looking at it. That the phones be bad is basically it. Unless <laughs> that it, is it, unless you've got a motor and a razor. And WhatsApp is good, or is it? Because that's how the master and the doctor reconnect. It, it, it produces a great um, Foucauldian a critique where uh, they notice that Bohr um, has, um, co- has um, made its way into every corner of modern technology and they list it, these corners as leisure, commercial, and military. Mm-hmm. And they sort of talk about all these things face tagging, biodata, robotics. It sort of seems to imply, you know, the, the critique, uh, is it any coincidence that leisure resembles commercial, resembles military? But, um, yeah, good question about the what's that? Yeah, <laughs> like, what's, what, what's that story? Can anyone shed any light on that? They're just, they're just naming, they're just like dropping WhatsApp in there. Do mm-hmm. they get their money for saying that? The doctor makes an app, but the app is just a... It's called Hire Ryan. Mm. <laughs> 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 so the doctor could develop apps. Yeah. Just only to save. She money. she reformats Ryan's phone a lot as she does it in the mm. first episode. Sonic Screwdriver is a kind of piece of hardware with infinite amount of software on it. I mean, there's a lot of places where that doesn't work, it mm. seems. Like the Well, They're a very, you know, um, under me under formed thing, aren't they? Even to their design, where they were like, should we just make them so shiny that you can't make them out? I quite, I quite liked that. They had a little bit of the mystery of the uh, silent angel or weeping angels. Um, the weeping I think angels, they had hats on. Yeah, I think they did have hats on. A little bit kind of um, Truman Capote style. <laughs> um, but in terms of callback to the weeping angels, there's also the obvious one, which is the Doctor speaking through a pre-recorded video and appearing to interact yeah. in the presence, which is the trope at the beginning of the Weeping Angels ever, first ever appearance in a Stephen Moffat episode, um, in which the Doctor has hidden a kind of uh, video message through time. It's also an episode reflected by the Masters having to live through 77 years or whatever it is to get to the present, um, which um, characters have to do in that Weeping Angels episode, which is a fan favourite. So it's a good example of Christian Bringing back elements of faves mm. is also an example of, of commodification in entertainment by bringing back things which are known to be popular and then collaging them. Are there things that were like things that have already happened before? Were, there's the killer that now was 
like Atmos in the Suntown Stratagem. Oh yeah. Um, which also had a tech entrepreneur genius bad guy, uh-huh. um, who was out of his depth helping uh, with an alien invasion. Oh yeah. Was that the Wi-Fi? There's a lot of Russell T Davies. Um, kind of something in the contemporary world turns out to be a way for aliens to get us. There was the one about the Wi-Fi. Yeah. All the Wi-Fi on Earth goes wrong. It starts attacking you. It reminded me a lot of the Next Generation episode, Star Trek, when they go back to the 1800s because there are aliens interfering with Earth time. Mm-hmm. Yes. And using humans for food. The, the kind threat, of stole yeah. it a lot. But I think they're quite, they're just quite, um, I think that that's, that's understandable that there's similarities. I didn't think that this episode had any ambitions of, of reformatting anything, like in terms of its own you know, ideas. But I think that there is always something intriguing about putting a slightly newer version of the Doctor through situations that another Doctor has been through before because it is, there is always a slightly different response. So maybe that's like, there was some reward there. But yeah, I mean, I do think that it offers very little, it thinks that it offers real answers towards, yeah, how we can bring the downfall of fascism. I think that Chibnall really believes that that, that is because it's the same with the Rosa Parks episode, you know, that wasn't mm. that was written also partially by Mary Blackman. It is still like you just need one person, and as far as I know, that even though Rosa Parks was very famous, there was actually another young woman who who refused to sit down mm. on the bus. Mm. In the same, in the, I don't know the exact things, but the reason that she wasn't made, she didn't get any air times that she was pregnant, um, unwed mother, and that's why she also wouldn't stand up. So yeah, I mean, Christian would like to. It's, it's much easier to simplify into sort of individuals who are literally carrying the weight of huge moments of history and leaving them to it. And the Doctor was really into leaving them to it and not giving them any help whatsoever, as happens with Ada. It's even that complicated, though. I know that a lot of programmes are talking about fascism, but recently I just feel like they're like putting swastikas on telly. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. They, like, the Nazis are very, mm-hmm. very... Well, they're actually trying to yeah, tackle yeah. the idea. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is the problem. This is the reason why it's so you know why it's something we even have to be talking about all the time now, because communication technology that's readily available reduces everything down to fungible, transferable, networked blobs of idea, and sort of Hitler and Mussolini just kind of emerge back into the political realm as kind of opinions or just memes mm-hmm. or jokes or equally valid kind of world views. Mm-hmm. The Doctor's utterly pretty blasé response to the master being a Nazi, you know, well, not even being a Nazi, just hanging out with the Nazis for the sake of hunting her down is, is a really good example of how desensitised we sort of meant to be to that particular threat of violent fascism because she's just there, she's like, oh, I'm here now, he's a Nazi, best send him a message, meet him top of the avatar. It's just, it, it's purely functional. Mm. And also there is no, there is no connection made between the Nazis in 1943 and anything that's happening in Daniel Barton's world—it's mm. mm. just really—it's just really lazy. Um, not even lazy, like un, unambitious writing. You mentioned your fun fact as well about the Eiffel. My fun fact—I stole this off a YouTube video comment that the elevators in the elevators, <laughs> the lifts in the Eiffel Tower, were not working because the French smashed them up when they. Then they knew the Germans were coming and they didn't fix them until 1946. Although I'm not quite sure. I like the idea of just no one fixing them until 1946 being I just can't 
resisting obviously there's the obvious point here of several times 13 just throwing the master to punishment torture suffering where she always wordlessly claims to be the good guy but she leaves him in the 18 does she leave him in 18 no he gets out no, he's he's the the time. Yeah. well she just definitely just leaves him so that she calls the nazis on him Mm. That's an interesting, that is an interesting moment of um, the master explains, or the doctor makes the master explain that he has developed some kind of Aryan shielding device that um, makes people see what they want to see, hence they don't see him, like they see him as white, basically. And then she deactivates, having found out that he has it, she then deactivates it as her final punishment. Meaning that he then gets dragged off then we don't see him and for 77 years, but he does say he's lived through a terrible 20th century and he had to es- the place he had to escape from, suggesting that he might have been sent to a concentration camp. Interestingly, which is where Noor Inyat Khan, the historical figure, did die in a concentration camp. And she was of mixed race descent being American and Indian ancestry. So there's something, but was also a, a special services spy. So it's kind of interesting how she was actually living in Paris um, with a mixed race background and doing this undercover work and it seems to be Christian would specifically choose her and it's also <laughs> this idea that the master is quite potentially consigned to the concentration camps is kind of is it is it oddly I don't I think I suspect that Christian just didn't think about the implications of that moment um, it's kind of going slightly beyond his liberal counter history or that he deserved it, because I think that's always the... Yeah, because yeah. he did bad. So he did he a bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Christian probably loves putting people in prison. He doesn't like killing them. Mm. He likes putting them in prison. There is a lot of prisons. Yeah. Prisoned in a tr- imprisoned in a tree, those those evil aliens in the witch... In a tree. Riders, mm. They imprisoned them in a prison tree, for, like, before the earth, even, like, you know, just as the earth was formed. Imprisoned forever in a stasis chamber of his own design. Mm. Tim Shaw and generally imprisoned over time, and then and then finally the doctor is sending the master to be imprisoned in the liver. I'm just going to call it the liver, you know, the the void, the, uh, the, void, the, the, the green, slightly data-like void. I thought it was a carpet. The first time I saw it. <laughs> it did look like a carpet. I thought it was a brain. Yeah, it was a brain. Mm-hmm. And I thought the flashes of light were slightly kind of nuanced. Nuanced. Like, yeah. Again. Following a very kind of neoliberal epistemic view of the body. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> in the brain. And he's like, I think that you're my thoughts. The doctor's like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> the, sorry, the imprisoning thing, it's made me, the doctor's very like Prospero in The Tempest, really. Mm, that's, knows everything, that's, knows the end of everything, knows all the plots, is now just like punishing you or like sending you over here, mm. using relationship with Caliban knows who's been good and who's been bad and has so much power compared to everyone else. Mm. The Doctor doesn't really do... I feel like previous Doctors, that they had a little bit more of like a real ego massage victory dance every time he saved everybody. And usually someone would congratulate him for saving everybody. But then he just sort of tends to nip off before that bit. And I wonder if that... It's interesting because I was trying to work out like whether I don't even see the 13th Doctor as like actually as a good mm-hmm. a, the good guy anymore not really the villain just sort of like dabbling about in some weirdly in a purely self-motivated way what would it take for you to think what what would be different about the doctor that would make you not feel that way if she just <laughs> killed someone 
Uh-huh. And the Doctor very rarely does that. But no, he did do that once. David Tennant and David Tennant regeneration Christmas Day. No second mm-hmm. chances. He uh, killed the leader of, a, of an army. Yeah. Yeah, I don't understand why she doesn't use weapons. Like, he has a little shrinking device. Why doesn't she use something like that? It's a bit like Harry Potter, you know, they, the, the white wizards use defensive magic. They don't use the killing curse. But come on, it's better be shrunk than put in a concentration camp. Exactly. Well, I mean, but that's the thing, she does use weapons. She yeah, just doesn't she take responsibility yeah. for them. Exactly. It's, 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 it's just a bit of a more of a, mo- a Maya, a moral. Quantum tyrant, mm-hmm. isn't it? Quantum. Mm-hmm. This is another thing that was picked up in the uh, Guardian piece recently, um, which was complaining about these episodes, um, which is that by saying uh, if you use the same means as your enemies, you become as bad as them. Mm. Um, but that's we're questioning that logic, which is the logic of the Doctor never using a gun, never using a weapon. Um, but it's the same, or it's kind of doubles back. Could you use a knife? Um, <laughs> <laughs> As um, yeah, the anti-fascists become the new fascists. The logic yeah. of fascism. You can't punch <laughs> a Nazi, but you can send someone posing as a Nazi to the concentration yes. camps. Mm-hmm. That's where we are. This <laughs> in this politically correct world. <laughs> <laughs> There's one person we haven't talked about. The timeless. The child. child. So we've all we've already posited some theories of a of a child. Mm-hmm of the regenerations of the Time Lords being possibly stolen or extracted painfully from us. Maybe some kind of, uh, what's the word like? Like stem cells. Yeah. What's the word for someone who's like different to everyone else? Anomalous Time Lord. Or maybe just, in, because I always forget that in the one where you go, I haven't seen the David Tennant one, but the one where um, Peter Capaldi goes back, that the main prosperous mm. Time Lord city is in a bubble, but there's mm. also just a normal Gallifrey, there's also just a huge mm. planet for normal people and poor people, assumingly. And he's and, and he's actually an you know, an elite member of his mm-hmm. society. So who knows if yeah, maybe all Time Lords are just human and then the, the, specifically the Time Lords are a horrible sort of experiment based on hurting a child. A time peasant. A time mm. peasant. Yeah. I've, speaking of weapons, though, I've never seen a good man go to war because I very rarely can stand to watch Matt Smith. But there's a whole thing about the Doctor and weapons there, and he does have a gun or commands an army or something. I just haven't watched it. I don't really want to. <laughs> but in the, in the Time Wars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've forgotten which one that is. It's, it's it's near. It's with River and towards the end of. Um, Where you find Indian. out that uh, there rivers. Mum and Dad. Yeah. Oh no, he's still up to his old things of like using other people to be an army. Oh, okay. Yeah. He just never wields the weapon. Yeah. Oh. He gets a lot of shit for that in that episode, actually. Mm. Okay, maybe I will watch it. I just seem taken down a peg. On the subject of the time of child, I'm happy to play Christian Law's game here. It's the it's the ultimate kind of fan theory building gossip machine. This idea of like seeding something and then literally the amount of Empirical information that we have about the Thomas Child is in three tiny clips now. An episode in the last series, the master saying everything you think you know is a lie, and then the master appearing in a geographical-based uh, 3D pop-up <laughs> saying uh, the whole Gallifreyan civilization was based on a lie, the myth of the Timeless Child, and the Doctor has a kind of flash mind sequence flashes back to the last series, but then we see some new footage, which is literally a boy, 
a concrete landscape which looks like it could be Gallifrey, and that's it. So that's all the information that we have. We can now build theories upon that. Presumably, question was going to drip us something in every episode, and then I like the idea. Perhaps this series will end with a bit more. But the whole timeless child. Ep. I'm happy to play that game. I think it's a fun game. Theories of the timeless child. I think we we should all have a theory and then try to expound it episode by episode. It might. It'll be most though. It won't be every episode. It's usually most. Mm. And they give you a little drip. I bet the next episode doesn't have a time yeah, chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take your eyes to the ball. Or could it be a sort of Monster of the Week type episode? Yeah. I think yeah, it will be. be next week. Mm. It yeah, looks that month. way. They've got that one from the in-betweeners in. They can't be. In-wig. Yes. <laughs> Green-wig. Green-wig. Maybe he's going to rob a bank. There's a wig theme happening. And wigs. Wigs and wigs. Yes. Wigs and wigs. I think the Timeless Child is, is essentially a kind of theory of history. I think the, the Timeless Child embodies the contradictions of the Time Lords constantly moving, moving through time by being a kind of singular timeline. A fixed. A fixed timeline. But then by embodying those contradictions only unleashes them in a more universal form. Mm. I've got a very high theory with my idea. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite... I'm on the floor going, that sounds nuts. From far away. Well, I just had one question, but it was slightly different, so if you mm. I feel like it's going to be more basic than and let them not satisfying. Yeah, that usually is the case. My dark question is: is the is the master and the doctor at the least interesting when you make the master a man and the doctor a woman? Because then it just becomes misogyny. <laughs> the two genders. <laughs> the two genders. So we've just switched around from mistress. Yeah. Because everyone loved Missy because it was like, oh, she killed. How quaint, quirky, and funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and the doctor's so nice, and that's, especially with the Nazi stuff, just makes the doctor seem less and less likable. Maybe that's interesting. I would love Missy in 13. That would be a very chaotic duo. Mm. Maybe it could happen. Probably not, though. No. Mm. Probably not in this series. I don't have a theory. But I hope that there's camp and peril. Yes. And I suspect that there will be, it will be fraught. <laughs> yes. Maybe someone will cry a single tear. Surely all the assistants will die. Well, there's too many of them. Many exactly. people think. Maybe I don't think there are too many. No. Speaking of, they had very little to go on these two last two episodes. Yaz had a sparkly jacket. Yaz had a beautiful sparkly jacket. And Yaz got a flirt. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. master. That was fraud. Yeah. But then also they sort of tried to set up a Yaz and not a Yaz and Ryan thing necessarily, but a bit mm-hmm. of a bit of background. Does, oh, why yeah, doesn't Yaz sister. want to give Ryan her sister's number? Mm. Maybe just because that's weird. Yeah. That wasn't allowed to be announced, so apparently. Ambient plot. Mm. More families would have been great. Yes. And more than any Henry's mum would have been. Yeah. Uh, really, yeah. any of any Henry's mum would have been great. <laughs> Should have been seeded in from the start. She's the yeah. timeless mum. Yes. <laughs> you can't have everything. Um, well, shall we? Fa- shall we farewell? Well, farewell. I was Monet in the nineties. I was and remained Erwan. I was Kay. And the nameless child. The ghost child. <laughs> Thank you for, thank you for your assistance.